Today on Ag News Daily. Basically, everything that has to do with what stresses they want to detect, what granularity of data, how frequent they want imagery, what germplasm they prefer, because our technology is C-traits. We work with germplasm providers. Good afternoon and happy Tech Tuesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say I have quite a bit to do this week, but I'm not stressed out too much, which is not normal for me. I'm normally high stress. Well, you just have gotten much better at dealing with it, Ashton. I guess so. I definitely feel like a grown-up lately. I was just telling you earlier today that I'm excited for the future and feel like everything is going good and correct right now, but that normally is not the case for me. I'm normally worried about just about everything. Well, it's good. It means you're growing, Ashton. I guess so. I suppose so. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and just ask you how your day has been, Delaney. Are you as low stress as I am? I certainly am, actually. Getting back from vacation is good. That always puts me in a good mood. Um, I get to go to North Dakota later this week, hitting up the North Dakota Bankers Association's annual meeting, chatting with their folks there on Thursday and Friday this week. So yeah, I got some good things ahead of me. I'm excited. Well, it sounds like both of us are just doing some really great things. You probably more so than me, really. I'm just doing well in my classes and (laughs) writing some more, which is always fun. I love to write. So I'm glad I have those opportunities. But Delaney, I'm going to kick it off with some news today and one that I think you'll like since you are a golfer. But there has been some research that has made polymer from soybean oil that is going to be a prototype of golf balls. So this is going to be a new marketplace for our soybean producers. They're currently, the researchers that are doing this are currently looking at how they can make the insides of the golf ball. The polymer would go on the outside and it's just as strong and tough as the outside of a typical golf ball. But they're also looking at how to make the inside of the golf ball entirely made of soybean products. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And I would definitely try those golf balls. I assume that you would, Delaney, since you're a golfer. Of course, you are out in Iowa. You support our soybean producer. So I thought this one would go right up your alley. Yes, I love that piece of news. That's a fun piece of news, Ashton. So thank you for kicking things off there. From there, I'm going to take us over, though, to crop progress because we got that report out yesterday afternoon. And the latest report showed that corn harvest is now sitting at 29% harvested, up from 18% last week and 22% for this week's five-year average. Soybean completion is now at 34%, up from 18% last week and 26% for the normal five-year average. So harvest is certainly... Moving right along here, but we also saw slightly worse conditions than last year for this time of year with the amount of crop in good to excellent condition, about 4% lower than the previous year. So we are continuing to see what's coming out of the field, Ashton. Well, Delaney, that reminds me, I wanted to bring up the 
social media scare shutdown. I don't know what to call it yesterday because typically, you know, we have been posting about um, crop harvest and those kinds of things, kind of updating the people. But unfortunately, we didn't get to share that until much later yesterday because Facebook and Instagram were both down. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to point out at about, oh, I saw this piece of news around four o'clock yesterday. So things might have changed since then. But it was reported that shares in Facebook had fallen 5.5%, which represented about $50 billion in market value. So I thought that was pretty crazy. Yeah, I heard on the radio today that Mark Zuckerberg, of course, the founder of Facebook, lost about 7 I want to say $7 billion in whatever, worth, value, revenue yesterday alone. But I got to admit, I'm not too sorry for the guy. I don't feel too sorry for him. He's worth, you know billions of dollars, but he lost seven yesterday after that whole menagerie of issues happened. Okay. I heard that piece of news too. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it was, I think it was 7 billion out of his net worth. So I'm not sorry for him either. That could feed so many people across the country or not even across the country, across the world. So, you know, don't feel too sorry for him there. But anyways, moving forward past the Facebook debacle, I have some more (laughs) soybean news. I guess it's, you know, soybean news because it's coming from American Soybean Association economist, Scott Durlt, as he says, they are taking early steps on working on the next farm bill, and that includes a safety net. We've talked about two or three times now about the farm bill, and it looks like things are ramping up here. And uh, Girls was actually quoted as saying that we saw soybeans lose nearly a third of their demand during the trade war, but PLC payments were never triggered for soybeans. So really, the basic farm safety net didn't really come into play in that period. He also said that they're looking at ways to provide an improved safety net, which the price loss coverage program is a part of in the event that something like the trade war with China happens again. So they're certainly looking towards the future here with the next farm bill. And we are too, as we're going to keep looking out for these you know, small, short stories until we get something big from the next farm bill. Absolutely, Ashton. That's definitely one thing to keep an eye out on here as we do see negotiators probably start to work on those, and they already are at this point, but definitely pushing hard for that, I'm sure, next year. Ashton, I know we talked a little bit about the phase one slash China and what we will see here moving forward, but uh, U.S. Trade Ambassador Catherine Tai laid out her plan and I think this is an update to the story you shared yesterday, but because I don't think we touched on this, but she apparently also laid out that the administration is going to be laying out a variety of tariffs and is has indicated that more than $350 billion worth of tariffs will remain in place on Chinese imports. Ashton, I think that's new news that you did not report on yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. No, I did not see anything about tariffs yesterday. So I'm glad that you stayed on top of this story. Okay, fantastic. I'm glad I didn't want to double dip what you'd already been mentioning, but that's going to be in place or continued to be in place. And she also opened up the prospect that U.S. importers could receive tariff exclusions in some cases. So I know this has been kind of an ongoing issue of a lot of folks dealing with higher costs because of these said tariffs. So it does appear that the 
Biden administration is backing down a little bit and going to allow some U.S. importers to apply and receive potential exclusions from these tariffs. Don't really have details yet about how that works. And I know the other question mark we had yesterday, Ashton, was just how much China has followed through so far in their phase one trade goods for this year and alone. So through July, the U.S. has exported about $15.7 billion in agricultural products to China, which is more than twice the total for the first six months of 2020. So that is good news. Um, However, China accelerated the imports of agricultural products through the second half of 2020. And so they hit about $26.4 billion for the full calendar year last year, which is below where they expected to be as far as targets go. Um, Under this first phase one here, we're expecting to hit $40.4 billion for 2021 under the deal. And we're certainly far off from hitting that. So they certainly have a lot of room to grow as they continue to try and meet that phase one trade deal. And really, the uncertainty here is just what does the Biden administration do if and when they don't hit that promised amount that they were promising to make under this trade deal? That's really the big question mark still. I don't know, Delaney, maybe if we made them pinky promise to us that they were going (laughs) to actually do this, they would have kept the promise. I don't know. Well, I don't think they'll, uh, I don't think they'll abide by that, Ashton, but we could sure try. I don't know. I guess that's just like my third grade heart really coming out to play there. But I'm going to end with some not so great news. You know, I kicked off with something kind of fun, but this is not so fun. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says that it might list the American bumblebee as threatened or endangered under the Endangered Species Act. A formal petition filed with the agency says that the pollinators' populations have dropped by nearly 90% in the last 20 years, and the species is no longer seen in 8 out of 50 of our states. So this is some troubling news, especially for our farmers who might rely, you know, not strictly, of course, on bumblebees, but they still rely on these pollinators to help our crops. And of course, there are some technologies and some that we've even talked about on the podcast that deal with pollination. But at what point do we stop relying so much on those technologies? And at what point do they not work as efficiently as our natural pollinators? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'm surprised and maybe there is technology and we honestly might have interviewed them at this point on the podcast but um to mine nothing is coming but you'd think that by now we'd have technology that would kind of do what bees do in a sense yeah i i we've talked i think i there's not a specific name coming to mind but i i know we've talked about pollination on the podcast before i just don't think that they're as popular, but it kind of raises the question on if they are going to be increasingly popular if the population of pollinators start to decrease pretty steadily. Good question there. That's for sure, Ashton. But one question I don't have is where the markets ended for today, because we certainly uh, we certainly saw that happened. And I will just add here, you know, yesterday we chatted with Angie Setzer and she mentioned talking soybeans here, that 1235 in the November contract really was an area of support. Today was going to be a big day for the markets to see if we broke through that level of support or if 
that was really where support sat. And we traded back off of that. And thankfully, for those of you that are along the soybean markets, we did bounce off of that level of support today and see some strength in the soybean markets. However, corn did not see strength today as the December contract finished down three quarters of, excuse me, three and a quarter cent to close at 537 and a half. The March down three and three quarters to close at 546 on the nose. As I mentioned, soybeans really had a good bounce today off of that support sitting at 1235. November added 14 and three quarters cents to close at 1250 and a half. The January up 14 and three quarters to close at 1261. Wheat, however, did not get a good bounce today as the December Chicago contract closed down 11 and three quarters cents to close at 744 and three quarters. The March down 11 cents to close at 757 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. We saw a little bit of mixed trade here in the live cattle complex as the December contract shed 20 cents to close at 127.85. The February down 35, excuse me, up 35 cents to close at 132.75. In the feeder cattle pits, strength today is a November contract added $1.85 to close at 156.87 and a half. The January up $1.72 and a half to close at 157.27 and a half. And in lean hogs today, we saw mostly weakness as the December contract shed 55 cents to close at 82.55, the February down 50 to close at 85 on the nose. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, which really have seen some pretty continued strength here. We saw Positive on the screen as the November contract added 16 cents to close at 1858, the December up 11 cents to close at 1812. And Ashton, before we get to today's interview with Interplant, we're sponsored by Performance Five Stock Analytics. We better thank those folks first. Absolutely, Delaney. Performance beef users have quick access to real-time accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. You can find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday episode, we are talking to Shelly Arnov, who is the CEO and founder of Interplant. Shelly, thank you so much for tuning in with us and chatting today. Thank you for having me. So Shelly, before we get started talking about Interplant, I want to know a little bit more about you. Since you are the founder of Interplant, I bet you have a lot of ideas going on in your head because Interplant is pretty interesting. So I'm excited to get to talk about that, but let's learn a little bit more about you. Uh, Sure. So my background is I grew up in Israel, born and raised in Israel, studied industrial engineering. um, And then after that, I was working in supply chain consulting for four years had the opportunity to start a marine construction company when I was uh, 26, which was really uh, an exciting opportunity. But I always have been in traditional industries, which is very helpful to get to Interplant today. Um, from there, I moved to the U.S. to get my MBA in the Bay Area. And then after that, started a food brand. So it was a kind of Israeli-style hummus brand. We're selling to about 300 stores on the West Coast. And about four and a half years ago, I 
my first born, my first daughter was born and I thought life is too short to work on kind of the supermarket part of things. I, I love food, but I want to create impact. And I think impact is created in the field. And around the same time, I was lucky enough, my father-in-law, who's a professor at Tel Aviv University, visited us and he told me that he figured out how to communicate with plants. And that was kind of the idea, the original idea behind inner plants. At that point, I was still alone, um, spent some time at the university to look at what they're doing, found out that it was really fascinating, but not commercially viable at all. Um, but as part of that process, I was talking to farmers and the farmers were very clear about their feedback. We don't want to change our operations. We don't want to do additional work. It needs to scale. It needs to be affordable. So we, I embarked on this um, process of understanding what is the right technology that suits them. Alongside that, we I found Rod Kumimoto, who's my uh, co-founder and CSO. And then over the years, over the last three and a half years that InnerPont has really existed, we've been able to find the technology, um, show that it's feasible, work with farmers to make sure that we're getting the right product to market. So Shelly, I want to pick up on something you mentioned there. You said communicating with plants. What does that mean? You can't <laughs> talk to plants. No, but they can talk to us. They talk to us all the time. And actually, farmers keep saying that they do talk to their plants, but <laughs> plants never respond. Uh, so we're helping the plants respond. What, yeah, with the word communication, what we actually mean is that the plants have um, immune system reactions to stress. And what we do is we, we recode the plant's DNA. So this is a trait that's embedded in the seed that helps the plant communicate outwards the fact that they're under stress. And the nice thing about this is that they have different reactions, whether it's fungus attacking them, insects, um, lack of water, every time the plant will react differently and they react very early. Usually within a few hours, they're going to start creating their defense mechanism to make sure that they're not getting harmed. So we can then um, create a signal and that signal happens through a protein that they don't naturally generate. And that protein creates an optical signal, a fluorescent signal. So that way we can collect that signal. Every color, fluorescent color represents a different problem. And uh, the really exciting part is that we can see this from as far as satellite imagery, which goes back to the scalability and uh, the affordability of the solution. So really what we're helping farmers understand is what is the health status of their field mm -hmm. and be able to identify problems before they're everywhere, really in the right time to their precise uh, applications. So you mentioned that the protein that alerts plants or alerts farmers that they're not doing well, is it naturally generated in these plants? So is the technology you guys have harnessed creating that protein to be able to do that? Exactly. Yeah. So the plants do fluoresce naturally, chlorophyll fluorescence, but chlorophyll fluorescence is like basically everything else with crops, just an indication of general stress. What we're doing is we're tracking those early uh, changes that the plant has on a biological level and then creating another fluorescence for another protein that, um, that we can then identify remotely. You know, I'm going to go ahead and argue with you, Delaney, that we can really talk to plants. I have a couple of friends who are crazy plant people, and they think that positive affirmations really helps their plants grow. So I'm going to argue on that point. But Shelly, moving forward here, I want to look at the process of interplant a little bit more. How do you guys work with farmers to incorporate interplant on their operation? Right. So earlier this year, we launched Inner Circle, which is the way that we work with farmers. And it, Inner Circle was a way to institu institutionalize the way we 
talk to our farmers because we've always been talking to farmers, collecting feedback, and we incorporate that into the product development because we want to make sure we're going to create the right product for them. And keep in mind, biotech takes a long time. Um, so you, if you don't get it wrong, in the, if you don't get it right in the beginning, you're going to build a wrong product. You're going to find out three years later, which is a shame. So with Inner Circle, we decided to make it more official. Inner Circle is our community of farmers that uh, work with us to define and design the future of seed technology. Basically, everything that has to do with what stresses they want to detect, what granularity of data, how frequent they want imagery, what germplasm they prefer, because our technology is seed traits. We work with germplasm providers to make a whole seed. And uh, we launched that in August with about 60 farmers that have joined us in the first three months since inception. So we feel very lucky they're committing time and and paying um, a fee annually to participate in this. And they've been an incredibly valuable resource to work with us. So Shelly, getting into the technology a little bit more here, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of cool things. You've created this network essentially for farmers, but as far as the technology itself, uh, just walk us through a little bit more. Is this to be used for traditional row crop farmers? Is this to be used for specialty crops? How do they go about actually implementing this into their operation? Right. So when we chose the crops, it was always about impact. And to us, impact is about scale. So our first crop is soybeans and the second is cotton. And likely after that, it would be corn or other grains. Uh, but the idea is to look at large scale agriculture, where I believe that there's the most impact that can be gained, right? Um, you identify early, it means that you can avoid prophylactic applications of chemicals and you can avoid the, the unnecessary losses to pathogens. And that's kind of the impact that we want to create overall. So um, how this goes into the field through the seed. And that was always something that we intentionally created is based on the feedback. How do we make this seamless? And the, this, and the answer is you bake this into the seed itself. So every, every seed that the farmers get literally have the communication traits in them. And when they plant the seeds, they're planting data alongside that. And at that time, we call it a smart seed, but really the smart aspect is unlocked once you lock into the system. So as they buy the seed, they're going to get access to this, to our system or a platform of choice that shows them satellite imagery with um, the additional data sources from our crops so that they can make better operational decisions based on that data. Shelly, on the Interplant website, it talks about how these plants are genetically adapted living sensor plants. How does this differ from, you know, a typical GMO or something of that nature? So the technology is genetically engineering, so GMOs. Um, it's a different trait. So I would say until now, genetic engineering was only used to create two kinds of traits, resistance traits, either resistance to herbicides so herbicide tolerances or BT, which is you know, makes the plants uh, create pesticides to kill we, um, pathogens. This is a new kind of genetically engineered trait with a focus more on knowledge instead of resistance, because resistance, in a sense, is always built to fail. Right. The more you use it, the more nature evolves. And that's why we have so many resistant weeds and resistant pests and so on. And you continuously have to stack more and it gets more expensive with our traits. Every year, it's going to be about knowledge. So different farmers can choose different actions based on that data, creates a lot of diversity in the results in the fields. 
And every year the system can become better based on just the data aggregated, the algorithms and the analysis that you create through that system. So Shelly, as we wrap things up here, you mentioned you've got about 60 growers that are trialing this up right now. But if we have other folks that are listening and want to test out this technology, is it available yet for commercial use? Right. So they're not trialing the technology. Inner Circle is about working with us to build this out. It's going to be about 30 months until we have a commercial seed ready for our farmers. Just want to make sure that's clear. Yeah. So we have... (laughs) Yeah, and so we've uh, we have plants that are sensors, but to make it in a soybean, something that's ready to market and has all the other elements, is still going to take time. But of course, if other farmers want to join us, we're looking to extend the inner circle, and we want to create an entire movement um, led by the farmers to define the future of agriculture based on their needs and the ecosystem of partners that's going to come together to do that. And you can find more information on our website, which is. Um, innerplant.com or in social media outlets about joining Inner Circle or just, you know, one of us can give the farmers a call and and share more information. Fantastic. Folks, again, that website was innerplant.com. Shelly, we certainly appreciate you coming on today. And this is really interesting stuff that you guys are doing there. So we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. It was great being here. Thanks again there to Shelly from Interplant for coming on and chatting technology with us. It's definitely interesting. And like we talked about there in the beginning of our episode, Delaney, some new technologies are kind of needed to help our producers out there. So we're always on the hunt for good Tech Tuesday interviews. So folks, if you have any suggestions, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.